Welcome to episode 179 of Coffee Pods and Wads. As always, this episode is sponsored by Rain Body Field, the ultimate fitness focused drink to support your performance. And the Hybrid Academy are also supporters of the show. They're an Irish clothing brand aimed at helping you to look and feel your best while performing. And you can use the code POD10 for a discount on the hybridacademy.store. They've got their hoodies back in stock and their oversized t-shirts look to be on the way as well. Uh, the show is also sponsored by Bird Box Coach and Development. This is an online and in-person seminar course, which is CrossFit Preferred and is aimed at improving coaches by examining the psychological side of coaching. You can use the code PODS for a discount on birdboxcoachingdevelopment.com and you can use the same code while booking a gymnastics course through the gymnastics course. If you choose your location, you can email info at thegymnasticscourse.com and they'll sort you out with a unique discount code for that location. Uh, if you can, have a look at whatever app you're using at the minute, and you can rate and review the podcast. It makes a big difference, helps new people to find it. And if you want to go the extra mile to support the show, you can head to patreon.com forward slash coffee pods and wads to do so for less than the cost of a flat white per month. Today is the penultimate episode of the Pyramid Series. We've had episodes on nutrition, conditioning, and gymnastics so far. You can go back and listen to all of them wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, today is the turn of willpower weightlifting coach Justin Holly to take us through not only weightlifting but also his own quite unusual path to uh, finding his way into coaching and his beliefs around coaching and working with athletes. Enjoy, listen, share and tag. Well look, thanks so for doing this. Uh, first of all, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, you're a hard man to research. Uh in comparison to other people I've had on, um, I'll say this: I've seen a lot of pictures of you. Usually, like standing in the background holding like a stick or whatever. Um, yeah, you're an incredibly stylish man. Oh yeah, I got a bit of fucking style about me. Um, here's here's my. Uh, uh, this is uh, one of my favourite canes. There's a good reason for having a cane as a coach. And sometimes you need to quickly and efficiently demonstrate something or change something quickly. And words uh, are, are a waste of time. And you can, um, you can either lay hands or just with, a, with the cane or a stick or something. Um, you can make the point um, with good efficiency and, and silence, with no words. And I think that a lot of... Um, what I've understood about coaching personally for myself is to reduce the amount you say and influence sensations via um, other other methods, let's say, uh, whether that be maybe a, perhaps a metaphor or um, but certainly um, you can demonstrate things with um, touch and feel and be way more effective uh, when you're coaching something. Uh, because you can prod a muscle with a stick or a finger. Uh, you can ask an athlete to, to, to um, encourage their body to express more tension with touch. So you can put your hand on their back and ask them for more tension, 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 tension. You can, it's a, uh, it's a, a sensory dynamic process coaching uh, that words are, are really very ineffective. And what like what if you come up uh, with because you know the way there's different types of learners. What if you come up with like an hour learner, like someone who doesn't get like someone who only understands through or oh, like straighten up or you know knees out or whatever in comparison to someone who like would learn better by being manipulated in the right position or whatever. 
Well, so if you have somebody who likes to listen to what, what is said, let's say they want they want information. Give me the information. Um, th- I think that is something that they perhaps feel they need, you know, in, in their conscious mind. Uh, their body's still going to have to feel something. And it is my experience that when um, somebody could perhaps watch something, I'm very visual, I like to see things, and words don't... My wife's a yoga teacher, and if ever she was to, 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 to describe a position, I'm like, just show me, show me the position. Okay, I'll do that. Um, the The person who likes the information still needs hands. You still need the, the senses. You still need the touch. So you can have the words and the touch. And in time, I feel like my philosophy is about independent um, lifting. You know, you, you, you must be independent as a lifter. You must, it's your lift. And so it's for you to feel your lift. The answers are not with me. I'm a guide here. I'm going to uh, assist you in a way that, uh, that, creates sensation and you're the influence of your own sensations and if you like to write things down or if you like to hear things so be it but the sensation still needs to be created from within yourself and the way you connect the conscious mind into the moving parts of your system and I think that when you train athletes for long periods of time you sort of run out of things to say right my longest athlete has been with me for nearly 11 years we don't say much what's there to say you know we're doing snatch cleaner jerk like there's nothing to say after 12 years 11 years 10 years five years you know and i think um perhaps coaches can get used to speaking and they may feel that their words are influential because one day they'll say something and an athlete is successful after their wise words, as it were, um, and then they fail the next one or they are less, you know, it's less efficient, let's say. Um, and words are, are the, the first stage of learning as a coach, let's put it that way. And as you get more experienced, you learn how to express differently and how to communicate in a way that is effective for that learner. So the main thing is how they're feeling and then how they're warming up and what is the focus of today or this cycle. We have a focus, we have a fixed place that we agree upon, again, depending on the experience of the athlete. And we're working through that particular focus at that particular time. So this is weightlifting for me. And we know what our objective is. It's snatch, clean and jerk to maximum in competition. Along the way, we have to do all of the training in order for us to snatch, clean and jerk in competition to maximum. And that takes many years to maturate as a athlete, as a a lifter. And the process is the process. I'm I'm not in a rush. I'm going to take my time. And I'm going to um, guide the athlete in what I feel are the most fundamentally important stages along the way without without jumping forward, without indulgence. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Do you think that that that, um, 
I guess you said there that the, the words at the start are like, it's a, a perception that it's needed or whatever. It's the, it's the de facto coaching method, I suppose. And then do you think that that changes because of experience or does it change? Like I'm thinking, um, you know, like good friends can sit in a room in silence and there's no awkwardness or there's no like, you know, it's not like, oh God, someone say something. It's just fine. Whereas if you don't know the person you're sitting there, you're racking your brain thinking, fuck, what can I talk about? Is it that kind of thing where the, the more familiar you are with yourself as a coach, the more you can just be like, yeah, I don't need to say anything. It's just a confidence thing. Well, I, we've got a new athlete in um, this last 10 sessions or so, young, young girl. Um, and I've watched her train. I think as a coach, you have a responsibility to use silence and observe your lifters before you say anything. Remember, they're listening, and you may say something that you feel is right, but they interpret it as something else, and you may have undone what you were just about to um, help them with. So I think a lot of the time coaches could do with more patience in observation. We're observers. Uh, My... Like, if you're my athlete, my responsibility is to help you attain efficiency in your weightlifting. And that will take as long as it takes. And once you've attained efficiency or the standard or mastery, um, then we can start training. We're not training up to the point when you're learning. We're just learning how to lift. And it just so happens that as we're learning weightlifting, it gets heavier, but we're still not training. And I think there are, there are demarcation points along the way when you become an athlete who can demonstrate mastery that you're going to reach the stages of development. And each stage of development um, takes you towards training. So think of it this way. Um, if you've read any sports science, which I'm sure you have, um, like sports science is the blend of physical potential and sporting mastery. Um, the further the mastery is away from your potential, the less you can express. So you're not training until you reach mastery, and then you can express potential. What What are you looking? Because, like, say this came up with Nathan last week, where he was saying that, say, with kipping pull-ups, he's looking for mastery of a strict pull-up first, and he's looking mm-hmm. like he's he has different markers in his head of what mastery looks like. So what are you, what are you looking at for, okay, now we can start training. What, what are you looking out for? Well, in the snatch, you're <clears throat> looking for a lift that is expressed dynamically in balance. And you keep it that simple. So if you've trained in a, a, a gym or whatever CrossFit center, um, you will have seen people with a very um, broad standard. Um, They may well be taking steps, throwing lifts out the back, jumping backwards, jumping forwards. That's that's inefficient. So the first thing is to lift dynamically in balance. And when you can do that, when you can lift consistently through every percentage range from whatever you start with, you know, 50, 60% and work your way through into 70%, 80%, 85%, 90%. Um, you're then saying to yourself as a coach, how does this lifter um, express themselves under more stress or load? And does the efficiency change from 50 kilos to 100 kilos? And if it does, why does it change? 
and what's the reason it's changing? Because it evidently isn't technical at that stage, is it? Because if you can be technically proficient at 50 and yet you're expressing inefficiency at 100, then it's a different reason. It's not because you don't know the technique. It's because there is another reason, whether it be um, strength, mechanical or structural, that is affecting your display at a higher percentage. And that's, um, think of it like a chess game. Every time you move a piece, there's a, uh, an, an alternate move that can be offered you. And you're either strengthening your position or you've just weakened your position. You're attacking or defending. And coaching over a multi-year process is very much like that. You're always, like the, the bar's going to win. Always, right? You won't defy gravity. It's impossible. So you're looking to assist your lifters, athletes, to get to their maximum potential with the most efficiency. And if you're efficient, you're not compensating or you're compensating way less. And if there's no compensation or a diminished amount of compensation, then there's less risk of injury. Because uh, my responsibility is to keep you safe, keep you training. Uh, no lift is worth um, any form of injury. Let's train Monday. That's what I say to my lifters. If they ask me, can I take a lift on? I'll say you could take, it on, take the lift on, but make sure you train Monday. No, no lift is worth the risk. And I think you'll see people, um, athletes will be driven by whatever it is you know, ego or whatever, excitement. And we're there to manage that. You know, you can be excited and you can have a, have a session where you gun for it, but that cannot be every session. We have to do the work. We have to learn the craft, learn the skills. You know, we, we are um, asking the athlete to lift their maximum load in competition and make a, a white-lighted lift, make three white lights or two whites and a red. You've got to have a positive outcome. Um, and that's what we're practicing for, is that level of perfection at maximum load. So it's a, it's a peculiar sport in that way, because the load is always going to get heavier as you progress. That's the nature of it. Um, but the skill cannot change. So the factors that would influence um, the technique, if you like, are the, is the body's response to the next kilo on the bar. So if you've snatched 100 kilos in your life and you make that lift... Well, now you have to snatch 101 or 103 or 105. Uh, and it may be that your body isn't ready for 105 as much as it was ready for 100. And so on. And so you're just moving more pieces in your own, on your own physical chessboard, if you like. And some of them you have to come back and um, you have to consolidate. So you make your 100 kilo snatch. And what right have you to put 105 on if you haven't done the next strata of work at your new percentages, at your new 70%, your new 73%, your new 75%. There's a respectful process happening in a well-constructed development plan that will come back and will underlay the next layer. And you, you, know, you hear about the pyramid and, and all this. You build a base, and, and then the bases are... So this is your base for a period, and then you reach the top of that base. Well, then the next base is another triangle over here. And it's got to be, you've got to fulfill the requirements and the demands of the limit, the limit being the, the next failure and where that failure point is in the body, whether it's actual strength of your back squat or whether it's um, posterior chain or whether it is some other factor. Perhaps the athlete is um, less dynamic and they find it difficult to finish the lift. And you have to work that out as a coach and spend time in thought 
and select um, a strategy that is reasonable and rational and the athlete can agree upon. And then you set your program, if you like, um, for the outcome, which is to snatch and clean a jerk more. Given the fact that each time you do that, you're going to you're going to visit a new uh, limit of athletic uh, limitation to fulfill the next stage of potential. How long have you been a coach for? Ooh, uh, to twenty ten. So um, twelve what years. Is, I what age were you then? Well, I'm forty nine now. It's my fiftieth year, so I was thirty eight, I suppose, something around that kind of. Um, were you like active before that? Did you coach something else? Did you do something else? Is this a, like a, was it a late interest or an yeah, it was a, a, a late interest. I was training before that, but I wasn't weightlifting. Um, I was uh, teaching people how to go on to QVC and sell stuff. I was uh, uh, chefing in restaurants. I was uh, selling cop- coffee at um, uh, events. You know, like Henley Regatta and uh, the the Ashes Cricket, and I was uh, running an online magazine. I was oh, so all sorts of stuff. And how, like, because most people would, well, I assume most people would lift and then transition into coaching if they felt it was something they were good at. So, like, how did you, like, did you feel like you had something in you that you could impart knowledge, or did you just suddenly develop an interest in it and go like all in? So, there's two main qualities that I feel I have. Um, and the first one is I really like people and I like to help people. That's the first sort of realization point, I suppose. And so restaurant is service. You know, you serve people, you stand in the kitchen, you cook 18 hours a day and you're in service. You're there to, um, help your customers. If you like, enjoy their evening and coaching is no different. I'm a servant to my athletes. I'm in service to them. It just so happens that it's a um, quite a. I'm a benevolent dictator. You know, it's a it's a dictatorship. You're a but, servant who pokes people with a cane, right? So you know, I'm here to serve you, but there's um, you know, it is a dictatorship by its nature. Yeah. And um, and the second thing is, I've got a very very good eye for detail. Uh, mathematical detail patterns i can see patterns when i was a film editor um it was it was all about patterns. you have had a fucking ridiculous amount of jobs you, my you have no you have no fucking idea <laughs> i can tell you so like um it, you can have an interest in something that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the requisite skills as a human to actually do the thing like i can mm. have an interest in tennis but i'm not going to be a tennis player or what i could you know you you must have uh, intrinsic in your nature the skills of the craft or the profession that you're going to enter. Otherwise, um, you can enter the profession. Everyone's got the right to go into the profession. Um, but you perhaps uh, will be a coach of limited ability, let's say, or you'll have a you'll be a coach who can. Uh, we can, I could be. We could have a great club and we could have a good time. But actually, um, my lack of eye for detail then means I just can't see shit. So my effectiveness as a coach would be lessened because I don't have a balance of skills personally. So I, and bear this in mind, I didn't realize that uh, the detail thing was a thing back in the early days. So I knew there was a thing called technique and, you know, you, you know, when you, you first start coaching, you just don't have enough reps. You haven't seen enough. 
right? You don't know what good lifting is to know how to influence good lifting. So you need to know what quality is as, as a, uh, a demarcation point in order for you to make a decision. And you can watch as much uh, uh, vids as you like. That's not watching a real human being. You have to be with somebody. You have to be present with them in a, in a building to actually feel the lifting. So it's very important. Like coaching, I, I began uh, coaching professionally on day one. I got my gym and I just said, I'm going to be a professional coach now. And that's when I started, day one. <laughs> I just said that to myself and I didn't advertise. I didn't ask anybody to turn up. I said, they will come and they fucking did. And that was it. So it, like, the whole thing's been um, quite perverse in a way. It's bizarre. Um, and I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a business <laughs> strategy. You, you know, I don't think Branson would be coming and going, fuck, that's a good strategy, just well done. That's the way, to, that's, how, that's a template of how we run a business. It's not like that. But well, when, it, you, when you, it, if you found, you found coaching, like, I just don't understand, like, because, like, it isn't, it isn't the way that it's done. It isn't the, the well-trodden path. So I'm just trying to make sense of it myself. So say you're 38 and you think, okay, I've had enough of the last job I had and the couple of hundred before that, they were all like, sound like they were all radically different. Um, but as you say, they had that couple of common threads of people and, you know, detail. helping people yeah. and detail. Yeah. Um, but then d did you think like, did you, like, did you see someone doing weightlifting and be like, fuck, that's cool. Did you see someone coaching and think, oh, that's cool. Coaching is cool. I wonder, could I coach a sport? What sport could I coach and had a look or like, how did weightlifting and coaching end up coming together? We, uh, I was training as a, as a, um, ordinary person in an ordinary place. And we saw somebody doing, um, I think they were doing cleans. Um, and I went, fuck is that? Look at that. Fucking like that. What is it? I was doing a lot of, um, do you know, Giravoy kettlebell work. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of Giravoy. That's quite technical. Snatch, clean, jerk, you know, long cycling and stuff like that. So I liked, I was already doing that. And then I saw this guy just doing a power clean, I think. And, um, it was like, wow. Okay. So I just walked over. I said, what the fuck's that? He said, oh, um, I, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm doing this thing called CrossFit. I said, what the fuck's that? So, um, he said, I'll show you. Like, you can show CrossFit. It was funny. Um, anyway, long story short, that was the sort of start of it. And I was intrigued by the technicalities. And so, uh, as we all did, we started watching Cal Strength, you know, back in the day, uh, 2010, 2011, 2012. So I was getting, I was trying to absorb this uh, information. And um, in my training group, as ordinary people do, they go, what should we do today? And it just so happened that I was the only person who was saying, we're going to do this. We'll do 10 of these, five of these, and blah, 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 blah. We'll do it for fucking half an hour, and off we go. And everyone said, yeah, great. And um, so my, I've been a leader for all my life. So leadership and responsibility have been things that are, yeah, I, I'm, I'm comfortable taking responsibility. So I would take responsibility of most of the situations I find myself in, irrespective of um, where I find myself. And that uh, leadership, um, which is comfortable for me, my eye for detail and the, 
the fact that I really enjoy um, people's energy. Um, sort of. Um, then, as the universe did, did me a favour, Peter. Virgin Jim decided that they didn't want people um, doing weightlifting in their place. And they were very unreasonable, I felt. Anyway, um, I said, right, fuck it. I'll get my own place. So I decided to look for a garage. Just thought, fuck it. We'll, we'll just rent a little garage and we'll... we'll there was, I think there were four of us. We'll all train there. Um, and uh, I went out to find a place and I found the place I'm in now, today, same place. Jeez. And my landlord, God bless him, um, whose name I won't mention, but he is a rather eccentric character. And he said, Mr. Holly, I've got a place for you. It's far too big. You won't want it. So I said, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look all the same. And uh, we, we up the roller shutter and I said, I'll have it. Just tell me how much you want for it. And we shook hands. I wrote him an agreement on parchment paper because he's very old fashioned. <laughs> and we've had that agreement to this day. And, um, you know, my um, gym, if you may have seen it on, you know, it's I'm sat in my office, um, elevated, looking down at the platforms, um, almost like a, a general would look at the battlefield. And I can see every platform. I can see every detail of this place. And I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine platforms um, and it's perfectly spaced. It's, uh, it's, you couldn't ask for a better environment for weightlifting. So that's fortuitous because that was, that was the universe just saying, okay, we're going to put you in this place and this place is going to be right. And you don't know it yet, but people are going to come to this place. And I just sat here for hours alone, mostly coaching anybody who came in. I didn't give a fuck who it was. You didn't have to do weightlifting. I just called it a weightlifting club because I liked the fact that it was an Olympic sport. I didn't have any allegiance to it, you know, at the time because I wasn't from weightlifting. And it was like, um, it's a low ceiling. So you couldn't do CrossFit here, you know. And it was like, well, we can't do CrossFit, so I'll just do weightlifting. And it just, <laughs> one thing led to another. And I started to coach uh, people from the community. And, you know, all of a sudden there's a weightlifting club. And back in 2012, there I think there were only four or five registered weightlifting clubs in Wales. So there was, wasn't many. There wasn't many opportunities. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And, you know, the first athlete I coached who was 12, who was my nephew, is now qualified for the Commonwealth Games. You know, he's been to a Games. He's been a Commonwealth fucking youth record holder champion. He's competed for Great Britain. That's just luck. You know, you don't know when a kid's 12. So there's a few strands to coaching. In, in, in my world anyway. Firstly, um, can you, are you the kind of person who can keep a relationship for a decade? Because it's going to take you a decade to get the best out of somebody or more. And if you can't keep a relationship, you're fucked. Right? You're never going to see, you're never going to um, have developed somebody from the beginning to maybe uh, the midpoint in their career or the end. So that's a really important point of coaching is to build healthy relationships. Uh, otherwise... <laughs> Your experience is going to be two years. It may, you may be a, co a coach of 20 years, but you haven't kept a fucking athlete for more than two years. So you don't know how to develop somebody for three years because you've only done fucking two years. Right? So can you be somebody who can develop someone for a long period of time 
And then can you be somebody who can take a child of 12 and mature them into a senior championship lifter? Well, I did. It's like, and you've got to have evidence. Do you see what I'm saying? Hmm. So, you know, when um, uh, now athletes come to me and they're, you know, some are already at a high level and some come in, you know, they've got 300 total or whatever it is, or they maybe they've plateaued and, you know, they come to me because of the, the, the body of evidence that they see that maybe they like the atmosphere. Maybe they um, like what we represent here or whatever it is. And they choose you to be their coach and guide. Um, but in the early days, of course, that wasn't the case. You have to coach everyone, um, you know, from um, rugby players to cyclists to hockey players to weightlifters to crossfitters who just want to focus on weightlifting to, um, you know, uh, mothers and fathers and, and just fucking coach. Get, get your eyes used to the body moving because the body moving is no different fundamentally. You're, you're, you're coaching athletes. So you go back to that kipping pull-up demonstration of Nathan's. Now, you know, I know of the kipping pull-up, but I, I could tell you if it was well-structured you, because you should be able to identify a good athletic shape as a coach. You know, you should be able to see the common, um, the common themes of athleticism from a runner, a jumper, a lifter, uh, whatever uh, demonstration Whatever the output is, it is a, there are common things that every athlete should and must have. And so when you're uh, early on and you specialize as a coach too early, you've missed the opportunity of coaching somebody who perhaps is whatever, 40 years old and is stiff and has never trained before. Like, love that one. You're going to learn a lot. Love the one who's, uh, you know, uh, 22 years old and has got you know all this uh, pliability but they have no strength learn how to develop strength in somebody who's who's got um, positions but just doesn't have any capacity um, and somebody who may be really strong but they don't have any positions and you have to you know spend time adapting that f frame into something that's really you know going to be physically demanding for them um, in, in just in a mobility sense in a, in a mechanical structural sense so, so did, did you pick up like qualifications on the way then or did you before you opened the gym were you like okay I need to do some courses I need to yeah because like, uh, obviously you need like you know pages on the wall to get insured yeah, and stuff like that is you, you do your baller you know you do British weightlifting I did my level one and two um, I was lucky to do the I think it was the last level two that Cyril Martin did back in 2012 or whatever 13 I think so I did a level two with Cyril. I did my um, level one with Kazim Punjabi, who's now coaching India. Um, and like, what else is there in weightlifting? Like, there's no weightlifting exam. Um, and, you know, dare I say it, uh, weightlifting has a very um, sparse coaching development uh, arena. You know, there's not much coaching development goes on. So there's no level three. Or there may be now, yeah. but there wasn't. And there's no level four. There's no pathway for a coach. So it's, a very, it's very much a... Um, it's, it historically has been, you've been a weightlifter who's been coached by a coach who was a weightlifter, and so you're now going to be a coach. That's, that is the, uh, or has been, the, the, the archetypal framework of 
any athlete's experience as a weightlifter is that you're going to get an ex-lifter. Okay, great. Well, I wasn't. Um, I did lifting and I competed. I, my last competition, I won a, a bronze at the European Masters in uh, Bangor, 2015, I think. But I wasn't a weightlifter. I wasn't from the sport. Um, but So it's like you firstly got to get into weightlifting and, um, you know, uh, have you done a weightlifting competition, Peter? No, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> all right. So, um, uh, I've seen them. Do you know, I'm aware of how they operate right. and stuff. So, if if you're a, uh, if you're in, inexperienced in uh, weightlifting, and you go to a weightlifting competition, um, uh, there is a um, historical. Um, you're on your own. Snobbery. Okay. Um, people are used to seeing the same faces. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so any new faces are not the faces they're used to and people don't like change. Especially um, when they hear that that person doesn't come from weightlifting, I imagine. Well, they'll know you don't because yeah. weightlifting is a very small pond. You know, there's not many people in it. Or there wasn't back in the day. Like I said, there's only five clubs. You know, a few years later, there's 50 clubs in Wales, not five. <laughs> so when I opened mine, uh, weightlifting was at the point where it was just about to grow because of the Olympics 2012, because of CrossFit and Cal Strength, And like it was on, people like me could watch weightlifting and, um, you know, uh, watch Donny and go, fuck, all right, like this, I like this fella. Um, let's fucking have a bit of that. And I think in 2013, Donny came here to my gym and uh, I just messaged him and said, if you're not doing anything in a month, pop over. And he said, I'm not doing anything next month. I'll come up, buy me a ticket. So he came over, stayed at my house, trained here. And that was amazing for us. That put us on the map, really, because like Shankel was at his peak at that point. And there was no reason for him to turn up upon a pool, but every fucking reason, because, you know, um, Donnie and I are good friends now. We've... He, you know, we know each other for a decade, I suppose. And uh, that was a seminal point for me where we just, you know, Shankle turned up. People started to notice that there was this place and we were competing. We were putting, you know, competitive lifters out at that point, 2013, 14, 15, 16. My lifters got selected for um, GB um, youth squads. I had three male lifters in the GB youth squad. I think, you know, more than any coach. And so I was on my way to developing um, youths, and I've still got those two youths. I've got two of the three still with me, and they both compete for GB, and they both compete for their country, Wales. And uh, Michael's a British senior record holder as a 73-kilo class, and Jordan, um, you know, as, as British champion um, senior. So they've come as boys. They've come as potential, and we've stayed together. And we've enjoyed it. And tonight's session literally just finished is we're 10 days out from the British Championships in uh, a week Saturday in uh, Derby, I think. So, you know, that wasn't the plan when you open the gym on day one and you have no experience. So I have potential as an athlete has potential. And now, 10 years later, I'm realizing through um, the work because you have to do the work and you have to be good at coaching. Like, you you can't fake coaching. There's no way you can fake sitting in a gym for 15 hours a day. Can't fake that for 10 years. 
right? People can, like, it's a bit like restauranting. People think they want a restaurant because they're customers. They think it's glamorous. But stand there for fucking 18 hours a day peeling potatoes and getting burnt and cleaning out fucking shitty toilets and all that. There's no glamour in how a restaurant operates. There's only the glamour when you, um, you know, you go and have the first glass of champagne or a fucking gin and tonic with cucumber in it. You know? Um, and coaching's like that. Coaching is a very demanding profession on an individual. It's lonely. You know, you, you're a decision maker and you sit in your place for long periods of time. So think of my athletes as the customer, right, in the restaurant analogy. They come in and they spend two or three hours here in a very narrow window in high-frequency energy. Um, well, I got in at, I don't know, half past five, quarter to six this morning. It's, uh, you know, half past eight. I'm still going. Still fresh as fuck, right? I'll be, I'll be, well, my day off tomorrow, I'll be in the woodlands. But Friday, five o'clock, I'll be here all the way through, no breaks. You know, I might have a little nap on the sofa. I've got programming to do. I've got lifting, lifters to review. I've got to think, you know, as the athletes get more advanced, the seriousness and significance of each decision becomes way more um, meaningful. So you must be accurate with your decision-making because there's no margin for error error with an elite athlete. You can't indulge yourself in error. Yeah. yeah. I, feel, I, I think I'm going to need to get you back on someday because <clears throat> I want to talk to you about weight, like specifics of weightlifting, but Go on in. you're incredibly interesting to listen to. It's, yeah, it's um, remarkable, really. Um <clears throat> So, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, in, I, I don't know how familiar you are, but in, in CrossFit, there's like a, a, a pyramid of hierarchy, basically of importance for, for health, we'll say, or for, uh, physical activity and health. Cool. And like the base, the base of the pyramid is nutrition. So like, if you're, it's like basically that you can't out train a bad diet. If you're eating shit or if you're not eating enough, everything is going to fall apart. Eventually the pyramid will crumble. Um, second up is conditioning. So like you're you know, aerobic capacity or, you know, metabolic health, I guess. Um, above that then is gymnastics, which Nathan last week described as any bodyweight movement, basically. So everything from walking all the way up to handstand walking, I guess. And then above that is weightlifting and throwing. And then the tip of the pyramid is sport. So like going to the games, you know, like using it as a career, as a, as a sport, I guess, is the, is the very top, like which most people don't ever get to. Um, and there's a short period of time where you are there when you do get there. I was curious on your, um, opinion of weightlifting being where it is, like being the, the second, the penultimate tier on the pyramid. And I will say, so someone said, someone asked me recently, like, oh, do you think strength should be on the pyramid somewhere? And I was like, I need to ask someone who knows more than me and Carl Stedman, I don't know if you know Carl, um, replied saying like weightlifting is fucking strength <laughs> i was like oh yeah of course it is and he was like you also have to be pretty strong to do a pull-up or a push-up and i was like yep okay i never thought of that either and um, so we're including back squat and all the rest in weight weight like lift literally yeah. lifting our weight as well as olympic um are you of the opinion that it's in the correct position do you think it would come after nutrition 
conditioning and gymnastics is in like all bodyweight movements or do you think that it should be lower down on the pyramid somewhere mm. so this is brand new for my eyes peter <laughs> right so like when you have a hierarchy of any decision making um the outcome is to perform in the sport and the sport of cross play is a <laughs> multi uh, it's a. It almost seems like you, there are going to be some things that you know are in there, and then some surprises. So anybody who's going to be sorry, I I will say this hierarchy. This is like uh, level one. This is like you want to be healthy. So like for most people, it's not a pyramid. For most people, it's like what's a quadrilateral. Like there's no peak. Like the sport thing is irrelevant for ninety nine point nine percent of the CrossFit population. Sport is like you will probably never get to that point. And you might think you are, but you're probably never going to get there. Mm. Like you need to focus on nutrition first. And then when you have that dialed in, then you start focusing on, or, or you, you focus on both like concurrently, or you can focus on numerous concurrently, but you wouldn't just walk into a CrossFit gym and be like, right, let's get this snatch going when you're eating pizza for breakfast and you haven't, you've like driven to the gym and never walked anywhere. You know? Well, um, I mean, you're talking to a ex-professional chef, you know, what kind of world would it be if nutrition wasn't the most fundamental thing of your day, right? So nutrition, sleep, um, uh, emotional uh, peace. You know, if you're uh, stressed in life, don't give a fuck how good your organic fucking sprouts are, um, you're still stressed. You know, no amount of conditioning is going to de-stress your stress. And so, you know, there, there are other stratas at play, let's put it that way. But let's yeah. stick to the conditioning, uh, the nutrition, conditioning, gymnastics and, and such. So um, what I'm interpreting is that this um, isn't a uh, – you can do these things in concurrency. Um, so what's the priority of this um, concurrency? Well, let's say we agree that eating very nutritious food that is well-sourced – um, would be a given. And why would anybody do anything else? I don't know. Um, then you, you're, the next one you've mentioned is conditioning. Um, and that is building up um, capacities of output. All right, that seems to make sense. Because if you don't have a capacity for output, um, then the other two at the top there, the gymnastics, weightlifting and throwing, um, you will be way less um, effective on. You don't have a, a base of just general athletic fitness to put anything on. Um, I would suggest that if um, you look at gymnastics as a sport, gymnasts start at four, five, six years old, and they develop that skill over many, many years. And yeah, I mean, you could start lifting at um, the same age, but you're not going to be lifting, really. You're going to be playing, you know. Um, so I wouldn't suggest that that is too unusual. Um, but again, in an ideal world, you've got somebody beginning to train their body at the right time of their life. All right. Um, so let's now take 24 year old, um, you know, whoever it is who has never done anything. And now we're going to lay this on that person. Um, well, let's suggest that this structure is accurate for that individual um what's the time frame because in my experience crossfit crossfitters seem to be in a rush to get everywhere 
right? So I don't know the 24-year-old cross player that's patient that will say, yeah, I think I'll take seven years on my gymnastics before I start competing. Or I think I'll um, spend four or five years building up my base and doing my technique without maxing out. I don't know those uh, cross players, you know. So are you are you call, are you calling uh, CrossFitters cross players as a Freudian slip or deliberately as a joke? Well, they play at CrossFit, don't they? Yeah, okay, right. You know, whatever. I've said crossplay for ages. It's just something I say called CrossFit. You know, it, you know. Remember the days where you couldn't say the word CrossFit or use the word CrossFit, so I just yeah, called yeah, it crossplay. Okay. Um, you know, but my point is, um, this model, any model, will work if it's respected in um, a. A, an order that is considerate to the human form. You've got to consider the human form is limited by many things. So if you develop a young athlete from the age of eight years old, you're carefully building a structure that will then, you, and here's the thing, Peter, is you've got no guarantee they're going to stay with you, right? How do you know a 10-year-old is going to be in the sport at 22? No idea. Doesn't matter. You don't change the process. You keep the process the same that is the best for that human being. If they choose to leave you, and many do, so be it. You don't alter the process because of someone's impetuousness. And I feel that, um, you know, Nathan uh, is uh, talking about the kip and pull up and is, um, is, you know, I want to see this standard and I want to see it done like this. And this is the way I'm going to assist the athlete in getting to that level of strength to attain that standard. And then we move to the next one and the next one. And once we have that foundation built, then we can do the kip and pull up. I don't believe that's how it works in a gym. I think people just see it and they go, oh, fuck it. I can, I can fucking do that. And they just do it. Um, so, you know, as good as any model is, if you have um, uh, belligerency, they won't follow the structure. So, again, that comes down to who's leading the ship, who's, who's custodian, Ipsus custodies, who is watching over the watchman. You know, if somebody is, has a low standard and needs business, you know, um, they will compromise and then people will be subject to their own body's failings, you know, torn shoulders or knees, backs. You know, you're going to find the injuries. What's the injury list in CrossFit? You've got... Was it uh, shoulder, wrist, elbow, um, SI, knee? You know, there's, there's a common five, isn't there? Hmm. You know, there's, there's, there are common things that people experience because of the demands of CrossFit. And when I s coach CrossFitters, um, there's a commonality to the way their muscle is built. A lot of anterior muscle, not much posterior muscle. Because to train posteriorly takes years. You have to fucking spend some time in a squat rack. You have to spend some time respecting what it takes to get strong. Whereas, you know, um, if you're doing output, if, you're, if your training is output-based, then you're doing the workouts, right? Okay. I mean, I'm speaking as a weightlifting coach. I know what we're doing. We're doing snatch, clean, jerk. So we're training snatch, clean, and jerk, and then we're doing everything to accessorize snatch, clean, and jerk. I don't have to consider the kipping pull up or the muscle up or the handstand walk or I don't have to consider the other areas of CrossFit that uh, uh, you know CrossFitters have to mine is very narrow it's a narrow lane so 
but there are certain things that you have to respect, certain principles you cannot violate, certain laws that you can't violate. And if your impetuosity leads you down um, the road of violating those principles or those laws, well, there'll be an outcome. And the outcome, unfortunately, is people's bodies. You know, they end up having the same injury over and over again or they plateau and they don't improve and then they get disheartened and then they leave something that they really enjoyed. And that's really unfortunate. Um, you mentioned at the start there that uh, weightlifting has improved uh, like uh, visibility, I guess, or like frequency in the number of gyms and stuff like that that are around because of, I guess, in, in the UK and Great Britain because of the London Olympics. And then I'm sure the same is true of other countries that have hosted the Olympics. And then just the, I guess, the ability to watch the Olympics has probably gotten easier, um, which I suppose won't really have a positive impact on weightlifting anymore um, for a while anyway. But you also mentioned CrossFit as bringing, you know, shining a light on weightlifting and making it more mainstream. Well, if CrossFit is considered mainstream, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as a weightlifting coach, um, someone who's like, what would you call it? A connoisseur of the process and of the, these little landmarks that you're looking out for on, on, uh, in someone's training or learning to train. When you have someone who's a CrossFitter coming in saying, oh, I'm doing CrossFit and I want to get better at weightlifting. Or if you walk into a CrossFit gym and you're watching people weightlifting, are you like, oh, fuck sake, like, what am I looking at? Or do you think that, like, like, do you think CrossFitters in, um, like, hugely general terms now, but do you think that CrossFitters are bad weightlifters? Or do you think that because, as you mentioned, there's all these different facets that you have to think about, different, like, modalities and different you know, timeframes and sometimes you're lifting fast and light and sometimes you're lifting heavy and slow and whatever. Do you think that those compromises are too frequent in CrossFit when it comes to like lifting heavy weights? The first thing I'll say is I think CrossFit was rep was responsible for like 80% of the growth of weightlifting. I think it was the, the fast, it wasn't London 2012. It was where we all got excited and it was in, you know, this country, I think. So, okay, that's wonderful. And we had British representatives because we're the home nation. All right, back in those days. Um, now, of course, especially the females, they win medals at the Olympics. You know, it's fucking amazing. Um, but I think at that point, 2012, CrossFit was like responsible for all the growth. You know, it just was. And so I respect it. And I, I love CrossFitters and I love CrossFit because... Um, that's where I came from. Remember, my first exposure was via somebody who mm. said they were doing this thing called CrossFit. Um, so when, if I were to visit a gym, and uh, I have to make an adjustment. So I'm used to a um, training environment that I've crafted, and I'm used to training weightlifters who only train weightlifting. That's it. Now, if I walk into a CrossFit gym, um, I have to have a degree of um, empathy for what I'm seeing if I don't recognize it as weightlifting, you know, in, in the strictest sense. Um, because think of it this way. If you are a CrossFit coach and you have all these things to um, understand about human movement, you know, gymnastics and weightlifting and whatever, um, and you, let's say you do three barbell classes a week, right and you do it on a monday wednesday and a friday and in your but that, that's if you're doing 
if you have an actual weightlifting class in your gym, not talking about, you know, the, the workout or whatever. Um, well, let's say you get 15 people in the class. Um, there's 15 lifters and you're seeing them three times a week. Um, well, uh, you may see, I don't know, what, uh, a thousand lifts a week, if you're lucky. Well, I'm probably seeing 20,000 lifts a week. How the fuck are you going to progress as a coach if you only see a fifth of what I'm seeing? Right? It's a volume game coaching. You have to see a lot of it. Like, being an athlete, you have to do a lot of the movement to get good at it. You have to see a lot to be good at it as coaching. So when I... Um, a lot of my um, uh, work with CrossFit coaches is about uh, getting them to identify quickly what efficiency is, what quality is, and applying a standard. Um, that's the main thing. That will improve everyone's lifting, having a higher standard. But you've got to be able to see the standard first. So if I walk into um, a place, and I'll, I'll take um, a CrossFit uh, place in France that I used to visit before all this hullabaloo went on, um, in, um, in Marseille, right? So the box owner, I've, I'm his coach. He's a 130, 160 lifter, 290 at 94. He's, he was due to go to the CrossFit Games back in, you know, all, all the thing. Um, so he's a competent athlete, right? And he's got a gym. And in his gym, he likes his gym to be known as a weightlifting gym in, in, in his region, right? So he likes to develop weightlifters and he's got a big CrossFit thing and he's a CrossFit competitor. And I go in there and I watch the lifting and uh, I'm, it takes me some time to adjust. So I've got to be um, uh, gentle, you know. What's, it, it would, what, what benefit would it be to just go in with my, you know, French cane um, and start, you know, wielding it like everyone's doing something wrong? They're not doing anything wrong. They're trying their fucking hardest. So I'm there to help them. I like helping people. That's the reason I got in there. Um, so I've got this uh, little triptych, right? This little three thing that helps coaches. And the first thing is, can they feel it? And it's my responsibility to coach you to feel something. And the next one on it is, can you repeat it? And that's my responsibility too, is to help you to repeat the quality of the movement over and over and over again. And the third part of that triptych is responsibility. Well, that's yours. Because once I know you can feel it and you can repeat it, you are now responsible for fucking doing it. And if you don't fucking do it, and I know you can feel it, and I know you can repeat it, go and look in the fucking mirror. There you go. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I like that. Um, as a weightlifting coach, then, if you walk into a, a CrossFit gym, what's the most pleasing thing you could see as you walk in? Is it just maximal effort? Is that like, no, is that the, no, is no, that no, the best no, thing no, you could no, see? No. I don't mean as in, I don't mean as in, as in, I mean taking that responsibility box as in that kind of effort. I don't mean like maxing out your lifts. I mean like I'm giving my best effort here. That's what I mean by maximum effort. Sorry. I, I think um, the most pleasing thing is to see uh, patterns of repetition that are identical. That's, that's beautiful to see. You know, like we're striving for that. I'm, and I presume every CrossFit athlete who trains seriously, you know, is striving for the same thing. They're striving for, um, you know, each rep to be the same for maximum efficiency. So that's what they're striving for. Now, achieving that and um, 
is it's that's the, the game, isn't it? That's the practice. We can strive for it. And of course, within uh, the, the CrossFit environment, then you've got the personalities of who's training. So people are trying really hard and they may beat themselves up. And that may go in a direction that makes it even less efficient, that makes them, you know, have a less than positive um, uh, day. Other people are more relaxed and they're a bit more laissez-faire. And so they can make one, they can miss one, or they could have a really good training session. So now you've got the, who am I training? Because we can, I can have a standard, but if um, the standard is set and the people uh, who train here, which they don't, don't care of the standard, then the standard, I, I have to be able to um, uh, encourage you that the standard is for you and you have to believe in that. So we have to have a shared belief in what we're doing. And the thing that I love about CrossFit is that they have the community part. They share stuff. They share training. They share in encouragement. You know, there's a lot of good feeling within that environment. And that's very important because that means that people will look forward to being in their training environment. They'll look forward and you look forward to coaching them because it's exciting and you get a good energy. And the reason they, they're there becomes less about the doing and more about the people. People stay for people. They may come in because they want the fitness or they want a body or, or whatever it is, but they're going to stay with you because you've created somewhere where people feel welcome, accepted, and they actually like this community of people and they harmonize and fit. And that's what I like about going to CrossFit places and CrossFit coaches. I just did a seminar with Birdie in Battersea, I think, in a in, in um, district CrossFit, I think, in on the bridges, one of those, you know, really sort of fancy Chelsea digs. Um, and uh, we met CrossFit coaches from wherever. And they're all incredibly passionate about learning and about understanding. And I'm incredibly passionate about, I'll tell you fucking anything. I don't care. You can you ask me any question about anything. I'll, I'll, as much as I can give you, you still got to go and do it. You still have to apply it every day. You still have to have a standard that's worthwhile following. You still have to be a leader. You have to be good at making decisions. You have to have the capacity to um, see a lift, help a lifter, communicate with them, build a relationship. Those are common things. It wouldn't matter if I was a gymnast. I could do gymnastics if I give myself enough time to learn it. I could coach that. I could coach fucking timber framing. It doesn't matter what I choose. <laughs> um, what would be the most frustrating thing to see walking into a CrossFit gym then as a weightlifting coach? Because like I read um, when I'm reading uh, Matt Fraser's book and he did camps in America when he was younger, uh, you know, trying out for weightlifting when he was like, I think like 16, 17. Um, and he said the biggest surprise he got when he got there was that he wasn't handed a barbell. He was handed like a stick and he spent weeks with a stick and then he got a training bar and he spent weeks with a training bar. And he was at the time he was like, fuck this, like this is embarrassing and this isn't like what I suppose. But then those things that you mentioned he started feeling and he was like oh god this actually i'm in a different position than i was in like when i'm, I'm using a bar and then it you know he graduated on to the next stage and the next stage so is that something that you find frustrating when you walk into a crossfit gym and the, the, like because you you kind of alluded to it earlier on that the, those stages are maybe being rushed through because everyone's in a rush mm. I, I don't get frustrated about anything um i so we did this seminar on, on sunday 
And the, the co- so we, we would set some parameters. So Birdie would say, right, you're going to get the athletes to do whatever. And then we were observing the coaches and how they would communicate and, and all the rest of it. And they could choose how they got there. And we were observing what their choices were because that's important. And when it got to the, um, I think it was seven sets of three cleans at 80% workout, let's say, um, each coach was uh, assigned a different stage of the warm-up and, and so on. Um, and it was interesting because they, they got the, the pipes out or the sticks and they took them through that place. And when I reviewed the coach and, and asked them some questions, I asked them why, um, tell me why. And then I asked them if they considered the skill level of the group and, you know, cause these are all, co- they, c- they can all lift. You don't, need to, you don't need to treat a lifter like a beginner. So it's not frustration. It's, I think, reasonable questions. Tell me why you make that choice. Why is it you um, decide to do that? What, what's the benefit of, for the athlete, for, for what your choice is? Or are you following something um, because that's the way you've been taught? And let's ask some questions. You know, how long is the PVC pipe effective? Let's say, um, what does it do, right? And I'm not criticizing a PVC pipe at all, um, but what is it doing, and how long should I use it? Um, it's not that the PVC pipe exists; it is perhaps limited in its function. It allows somebody to, in a safe way, understand where the bar is going to be at any one point and move it into a safe position. And then let's say squat with it if it's an overhead snatch or, or whatever. Okay. And what's next? How many repetitions do we feel are appropriate with the pipe before you see enough competency to move them to a training bar? And then the next question and then the next question. So when do they get to the bar and how have you made your decisions and what are you basing it on? Because if you have 10 people in a class and you have different stages of progression and different stages of ability, um, are we training them all the same or do we consider the individual? Is there a consideration happening in your thought process or are you at the point of um, patterned repetition as a coach without questioning how you're seeing things and what you're seeing? That's more important for me. It's not a frustration. It's, a, it's just give me some questions. Give me, I'd like to know how coaches think. What are you thinking about? What did you base that decision on? What are you seeing? Tell me, how do you observe an athlete? What are you watching first? You know, are you watching, um, how many times do you say, hear the person say, finish a pull or whatever they say, right? Got to get taller. What does that mean? Does that, do you think the athlete's not trying to finish their pull? Okay, what's the start of the lift like? How are they, what's their contact point? How are, they, how are their feet on the floor? Are they in balance? Do they breathe properly? Do they have stillness before they lift? Do they have good tension? You know, is the lift smooth? Does it contain all these elements before they get to the finish? Because the finish is an outcome of the product of the start. And if your start position is compromised in any way or out of balance or you haven't breathed properly or there's a lack of tension, then how are you going to get it back? You can't get it back. So, you know, when um, there can be, you know, um, differences in styles, of course they can, but... Um, every coach should be happy to take a question and be proud of their choice. I make this decision because of this reason. 
And I find sometimes that coaches get a little bit shy or they perhaps are unused to thinking strategically independently, right? So they, they, they're well-practiced in drilling, but once the drills end, what's next? How are you going to make a choice? How are you going to make a decision? What are you basing that on? And um, let's discuss that. Because um, there's many ways. I, I, I coach reverse chain. I go from the top down. Some coaches go from the bottom up. I'm, I'm sure they're, they're as successful as I am, or more so maybe. It doesn't make any difference which where you start from. Um, whether you start with um, you know a, a warm-up, as, as they do in CrossFit, um, that's great too. You're drilling things. You're learning a skill. I, I have no issue with that at all. Um, but that's a stage. And then there's another stage. And the next stage is each stage is going to get heavier. And how are you seeing and what are you deciding and what are you basing your decisions on? And are they malleable? Are you adaptable? Can you see something and then or can you see something, influence it and then leave the fucking thing alone? Or are you going to step in and put your fucking fingers in the fucking pie a second time? Right? Because you've got no business to do that. Once you've made an intervention, once you've decided that here's what we're going to work on, then you leave it alone. It's not fair on the athlete to give them four things to work on in a fucking training session. So coaches get busy. And sometimes they should be just a bit calmer. Um, so I think... You know, as I hope I've explained that clearly, that I like to f feel how someone makes decisions and how they see and then how they communicate. And, you know, and then what are they going to do then? Because remember, we got these athletes for years. Years. You're going to be with them. You're going to teach them how to snatch or, again, I'll come back to my initial point. Like teaching you how to snatch efficiently is stage one. Training is the real purpose of what we're doing and unless you're efficient and lifting dynamically in balance we're still at stage one we're still learning we're not training um what do you think is the most common pitfall for people who are uh learning or training uh weightlifting like say for say if you were to put me in a group with an, an average um an average group of we we'll call us athletes, um, and you got us all to to perform a snatch, and you you haven't had eyes on us before, and you're just mm. like you know, there's all different walks. There's people who've been doing CrossFit for years, there's people who've been strength training for years, there's people who've like just walked in off the gym. Is there like a commonality that you can see, like okay, they haven't done this before, or they're newish to it, or they don't? Maybe they do it once a week, or maybe they you know maybe they're one of that group that do it three times a week or whatever. Is there a thing where you where you can say without being presumptuous? you could still say like, okay, they're probably go lacking in this area or they're probably going to do this. Is, is there things that like spike up straight away? Uh, I'll, let's say there's two. There's a lack of back strength and there's asymmetry in feet positions. So, um, Explain the second one first there. Explain asymmetry in feet positions. So um, I've never seen you snatch. So if you s dynamically lift and you receive it, are your feet in parallel? Or are they asymmetry landing? So are they are they landing like okay. this? Or are they landing absolutely at the same um, uh, angles? So the most common thing is you'll see one foot turn out more than the other, or one back, one forward. You'll see that a lot. Extension, receive. Okay, that's very common. 
So that asymmetry post um, uh, post ex- extension is very common, um, and really the, the people don't work their back, their posterior chain enough. And what's enough. what's the what's the cause of the asymmetry? Is that a body awareness thing, or is that like a dominant foot? Or uh, oh well, okay, now you've opened a, a, a bigger pot. It's <laughs> like well, um, so if you think about the. Uh, all of the elements that create uh, extension, uh, you've got signal pathways. Your brain has to do that. Um, you have your natural dominance from one side to the next. Uh, you've got the history of your training. So let's say, for example, you've been a javelin thrower. And um, when you throw that javelin, um, you plant your front foot and your um, training leg um, internally rotates every single time. And your body has said, when we've thrown, that's how we, that's extension for you, right? You've extended through the hips and you've created an internal rotation on the training leg. Um, and then you come to go weightlifting. Well, your body's still going to internally rotate on that leg because it's doing extension. It doesn't know it's a snatch. So it, the, the reasons why somebody would be asymmetrically um, landing are multi, multifaceted, many, many reasons why. Yeah. Um, you can't cue that out. Oh, could you could you just do that, please? Land with your feet symmetrical. How the f- what? I if I just write cues down. If it was cueing, if coaching was cueing, I'd just have a fucking thousand cues. Get you to learn every one of them and just say go and fucking lift. I wouldn't do anything. <laughs> it's not um, coaching's not the- cueing. There's no words that can fix that or can help the athlete with that. You can like. Here's a trap that people can perhaps get into. They can point out a fault. Oh, you're doing this. You're jumping forward. You're jumping back. You're, you know, you're... Okay, great. Wonderful that you've seen it. Does the athlete need to know it? No, they don't. Okay, how are you going to fucking help them? What's your next choice? Once you've pointed out a fault or an inefficiency or an imbalance or an asymmetry, how are you going to coach it? What are you going to do? Because if you just tell the athlete they're doing something wrong every time you coach them... Athletes gonna have a fucking. It's just gonna have a gizzard full. They're gonna say, oh, "Okay, what am I gonna do about it?" And so you have to start coaching. The posterior chain, then, is that? Um, say the back strength that you mentioned. Then is that? That's that lack of tension that you're talking about, where you're looking for people to be still before they lift and have that tension. But then, obviously, if they don't have that prerequisite back strength that tension is going to be difficult to achieve or enough of it is going to be difficult to achieve i guess well um so we're in we have an anterior um position and so we're in an anterior sport with a posterior strength so the bar's at the front all the way through right so you've got a clean the bar still at the front and you know at best you get the bar you know over your shoulders the bar's not at the back is it you know it's not a back squat it's always at the front. So if, if you're lifting something at the front, opposite the front is the back. And that's where you train. You train the back. And if you're not training the back, well, you're not doing weightlifting. You, you must train the back. You must be very well versed in the good morning, very well versed in the back squat, in the front squat, in various amounts of pulling that um, encourages your strength positionally. Because it... Yes, we can talk about the start position and the, the requisite amount of... It not, it's not just tension. It's tension and relaxation. Remember, we are moving very fast. So you can't be tense 
elsewhere. You must be tense back here, but you've got to be, you're going through the stages of dynamic expression, which is um, uh, tension, relaxation, you know, fast muscle contraction. You're releasing the muscle. You're getting it back again. You're doing all sorts of things. Uh, and your back, though, is fucking rigid, <sighs> right? So if you're not doing the good morning or you're not doing lots of back squats, uh, how are you going to get a strong back or RDLs or whatever it is, you know? Um, and I, you know, I'm, in my experience, if ever I ask anybody what their good morning is, it's it's always a little bit um, small. What's your good morning, Peter? Oh, fuck. I don't even know, which is probably worse. <laughs> um, what's your back squat? Tell me that. Uh, not very good. Um, just, just tell me the number. Don't, don't fucking make excuses. Just tell me the number. Um, for for what? For one? Just whatever. I don't give a fuck. Just give me, just give me the ballpark of where your fucking squat is. I think I did. Um, I'm trying to think. Hang on, I can actually get it on Sugarwood. Hang on. Jesus Christ! You don't know your numbers. Come on. No. Um, I did 110 for three. Right. So you. So let's say 120 for one. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, so let's say you can back squat 120. Great. Yeah. So there's your back squat at 120. Um, well, by the very nature of your unknowingness of the good morning, one might suggest that it may have been practiced once or twice, but it's not a staple of your training. Oh, no, I'd say I've probably... I'd say I've probably done, like, 50 kilos a few times. Right. Intermi like, over the last, like, five years, a few times. Yeah. So... Um, Frequency is a very important principle of training strength. So the more we do something, the better we get at it. And so, again, when we come back to, you know, what, what are common? Well, common is a lack of frequency, you know, because there's so much for you all to do. So we come back to that um, nutrition, conditioning, gymnastics, weightlifting, and someone said, well, weightlifting is strength. Weightlifting requires strength. It requires many elements. And... Strength takes a number of years to develop. Um, and of course, you don't look like you're... Uh, it looks like all your testosterone's been um, been given to you many years ago. I'll be generous. So you're not getting any more testosterone than you've got. So, you know, when I train a 15-year-old and they're fucking... They're banging out all the fucking growth hormone, you can get them fucking strong. Why? Because nature's giving them a lot of opportunity and they're training a high frequency of, you know, squats, pulls and whatever it is. I don't need to snatch and clean and jerk them heavy. I just need to keep the skill, you know, in, in the bag, really. We're just keeping the skill there. Um, but once I've seen their back squat go from 150 to 180 at 16, 17, they're going to snatch more. They're going to clean and jerk more. They've got efficiency. So now we're training. Mm -hmm. I got one kid, young Liam, um, who's who came here at, I don't know, 14, I think he was 57 kilos. I asked him his body weight yesterday, 89 kilos, right? So that fucker in, uh, he's 17 now. In three years, he's put on 30 kilos of mass, right? He's got a 180-plus back squat. He's got a ton 30 clean. I don't know what his front squat is. Probably we haven't tested it in a while, right? But we've we've got him strong. And his lifting, he's, got, he's a very efficient lifter, beautiful lifter. Um, and do I coach any technique? Nope. I don't coach any technique with him. I get him strong and I get him in balance. He already knows how to lift. 
He sort of knew how to lift when he came in. There were a few things that were um, uh, opportunities, I call them. So there were a few opportunities that we could focus on, but they were mainly strength. You know, he, he would um, he would start a lift and they, he would lose a little tension in in the um, in the the lat, the serratus. You know, he would just not know how to set his body properly. Get the cane out, beat him a few times. They soon fucking learn. And once you um, again, once you help him uh, with that, even if it is a little violent, they begin to understand how to set their body. And so what we're having now is a 14 year old who's now 17, three years later, who's a, a turn 80. He'll be at 200 soon. You know, by, by the time he's 80, he'll be 200. Time he's 20, 220. Well, how can he not snatch 130, 140 and clean a jerk 170? It's impossible. So I don't really worry about the lifts. I get them stronger and I use nature to get them stronger. And I make sure that I'm paying attention to his inefficiencies because bearing in mind, he wasn't as tall, you know, at 14 as now he is at um, 17. So I've had to account for bone growth for a difference in his biomechanics that'll affect his technique. There's, there, there are so many permutations so if you're, if you're in a one-dimensional thought process when you're coaching, you have to get out of that. You have to look at everything that you're seeing and be dynamic and be patient and learn to be quiet, observe. Um, something that uh, I feel like Instagram has promoted a lot is like big lifts and impressive lifts and, you know, like people share their their whatever, 130 clean and jerk. They don't share their technique work at 50% or whatever, generally. Um, if um, if you were to advise, say, the average, like, again, we're kind of, I suppose, I'm kind of coming from where I'm coming from and focusing more, or I'm thinking more of, like, average CrossFit gym goers rather than someone who's going in and slashing and clean and jerking, like, doing two sessions a day, five days a week or whatever of just that I'm thinking of, you know, someone who goes to gym for an hour a day or someone who goes to gym maybe twice a day. Um, what percentages is most of the work done when it comes to weightlifting? Like obviously strength training is different because you're building that foundation and you're, you know, you're making it wider, your base wider or whatever, but like with clean and jerk and with snatch, is there, is there a point in most people going above say like 75% or whatever? Or do you think that most people should stay below that and work on the technique. And then if that's good enough, as you say, with, with Liam, it'll carry over. I think, um, for and this carries for any time, any skill that you're learning and, and the back squats, a skill, a deadlift is a skill, a press is a skill. They're all skills. And what you're looking for, um, is the amount of efficiency you have. It's not the percentage because, um, uh, let's say I, I, I answer this question. I say, well, I think 70% is optimal for technical work. Well, what if your 70% is a fucking shower of shit? You've got no right to put 70% on the body. And listen, you know, God bless you, but you're probably snatching 60 and clean and jerking like fucking 85 or 90 kilos with the 120 back squat. So you've got no right to have a fucking percentage sunshine. You just put some weight on the bar, like 40 kilos, and you fucking nail it. And then you add a couple of kilos, and then you add a couple of kilos. And you ask yourself, is the quality of my lifting the same each time I increase a load? Because um, respectfully, Peter, you know, if you're back squatting 120, you're not strong enough to have a percentage. Yeah. Percentage training doesn't matter to you. Remember what I said earlier. You're not training yet. 
you're learning how to um, get strong and you're learning how to learning how to do the skill of snatch clean and jerk. Forget a percentage. There's no there's no point in thinking about an optimal percentage when um, what does it even mean? It doesn't mean anything to you as a trainer. So like if you snatch 40 kilos and you do six sets of three at 40 kilos, right? And they're all fucking on the button. Well, why don't we do that for, um, you know, 250 reps and see how that is? Are they all fucking dialed in? And then why don't you go to fucking 43 kilos and then do another 200 and see what they're like? And if that takes you four weeks to do 200 uh, snatches, so be it. And then do another 200 at 45 and so on and so forth. Well, in the meantime, get your fucking fanny in the squat rack and get squatting. Because you want to be at 140, 150, 160, 170. Because this part of it, this training of dialing in your technique. Remember, it's not just about the technique as such. You're developing your tendons and your connective tissues to be in obscure positions with a load overhead. You can't rush that process. A lot of the injuries come when the connective tissues just can't stabilize what's being put upon them. And so when you get a youngster in training and you're able to manage their lifting and manage their training, you develop connective tissues. You connect, you're developing the big muscles. It's easy to get his big muscles strong. It's much more difficult to, um, to know what his connective tissues are doing at any one point in his, uh, his career. Because they're the ones that, you know, you get a wrist injury. It's it's not the, the, the forearm muscle. It's the fucking little tendon, the little fucking wobbly bits. That's the problem. So I hope that answers your question. No, it does, yeah. Um, I feel like one of the most common things um, that I hear, this again, this, you know, feel free to attack me. Um, and my, I'm not going to attack you, Peter. And my my body composition and my uh, my weightlifting numbers. Um, no, but I feel like uh, I feel like one of the most common uh, things I hear when people are doing lifting or like the lim- limiters that they have um, is mobility, like whether that's your front rack or ankle mobility. So their starting position is affected because they have tight hamstrings or they don't have the thoracic mobility or whatever. And then their finishing position, they're not able to squat because their ankles are holding them back or they can't get their elbows up high enough and, you know, they can't get a good shelf or whatever. Um, And when I I put out a thing today saying any questions and I'd say three quarters of the questions I got were why or what are the best ways to improve front rack mobility and ankle mobility and all of the people saying it were like, I feel like this is the thing that's holding me back. Or I've been told that this is one of the problems that is holding me back. And I know, again, this comes back to coaching of why hasn't the coach said you need to do this, this, this. Okay. Forget the coach a second. Let's just say you've got, um, you know, a hundred people and they've all got, um, a limited front rack and they've got tight ankles. Um, and we're going to now ask the question, well, um, how do we improve, the front rack and ankle range of motion or overhead stability or whatever it is. Well, you improve it by not exceeding the demands of where your body can go. You don't give it too much. You'd be very patient with it. So if let's say, for example, your start position was affected by your tight hamstrings. Well, I put you on risers. I would put you on a couple of plates. I wouldn't get you snatching from the floor because I'm 
I would, I would know that's inefficient and I would be training deliberately a compensation pattern. Well, that's, that doesn't even make sense. I want you in the most efficient position for your body at this time. Remember, I got you for 10 years. I'm not in a fucking rush. So it may be a limit today, but in a couple of years, it's not going to be a limit. And, and if you're thinking short term, like how can I improve it tomorrow? Well, you need to broaden the amount of time you need to spend in the squat rack and doing weightlifting and lengthen it out. Because I can promise you now, there's not a lifter that I've met who hasn't trained for three to five years who doesn't have, you know, a, a front rack. I mean, I laugh. My heavy guys, like, they, you know, they can't front rack. They, there's got to be like fucking 1040 on the bar before it sits on their shoulders. Like, that's just, you know, you get big, you get in weightlifting. Like, that's just a, but, you know, ordinarily for, you know, ordinary folk, that won't be an issue. But the point being is that if you, let's say you've done bodybuilding or you've come from a, a different sport and you then try and do weightlifting and you've got thoracic tightness and you've got incredibly well-developed uh, pectorals and you've got love, beautiful fucking uh, mass shoulders, but you're fucking like this. Um, well, you have to be patient and spend some time in the most efficient position you can get. Um, when people try to force themselves below parallel, I, I don't do that. I don't force anybody anywhere, right? You must have, because again, I would know that I'm pushing you into a shape that is now going to create damage. I'm not doing that. I would never do that. So if you have a limit, I'm going to work to the limit and then just a little bit beyond it. And then I'm going to be patient. Because remember, what, if you were to hang a skeleton without any muscles, that skeleton will just fucking hang perfect. And then if you put the muscles of your life experience on that one by one, you're going to watch that skeleton frame, your frame, fucking be like this. It's not going to hang perfect because you've got a fucking tight SI over here and you've got an adductor that is non-functioning and you've got a fucking uh, left glute that doesn't fucking externally rotate. Your fucking skeleton frame's going to be all over the shop. And then you want to come in and do uh, 15 minutes of uh, some mobility drill and think you're going to now be... Um, Perfectly symmetrical. It doesn't work like that. It takes years to get that point. You know when um, you see an ex-female gymnast go into a weightlifting place and they, or a club and they just have all the positions? It's like, it's just, yeah, great, brilliant. It's, it's not like that for most people, you know? It's just not like that. And, yeah. you know, the females seem to have a much easier time with mobility than males. But they also have a much more challenging time at building strength. So, you know, there's, there's twos and fro's. Um, anybody who has a limited front rack, you know, you've got, there's no reason why your shoulder shouldn't externally rotate enough to have a good front rack. So if, there, if it doesn't externally rotate, a lot of people work here, well, when their shoulder is like that, and they don't spend the time rotating the shoulder out, well, you have to look at what are the muscles that um, produce external rotation and what are the ones that produce internal rotation and how do I strengthen and lengthen those muscles? And if you spoke to Birdie, he's, he's, he's a professional at lengthening and strengthening muscles. Isometrics, um, you know, you, um, you, you do good proprioception. You've got to stress the muscle to lengthen the muscle. Right. And it's not about doing stretching or mobility as such. You're, you've got to put the muscle under stress, but you've got to be very sensible with that stress. You can't be reckless. Um, and, you know, God bless people. Uh, but they can be a little bit like they're going to force the thing. 
You know, they're going to fucking lacrosse ball the fuck out of their shoulder until the thing gives way and fucking, you know, it's just unrealistic for your body to adapt that quickly, you know, to these. And, you know, nature didn't design us to front rack a weightlifting bar or to put a fucking weightlifting bar overhead in a snatch position. It's not natural to the human form. Right. Natural to the human form is fucking carrying a log or a, or a stone or some water. That's natural to the human beast, if you like. Whereas weightlifting is abnormal. Why? Because the bar is perfectly straight. It's in symmetry. And you're not in symmetry. Neither am I. Nobody is. And so the game really is that um, how can I be the, the most symmetrical knowing that I am asymmetric? And how patient will I be with my body? Because it's your body, everybody. You know, you've got to be gentle on it. People throttle their bodies. They place those high demands on it. And as you said earlier, maybe they feed it with food that is less than um, good for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. One thing I do, um, maybe this is stupid then, considering all that, but if I know I'm front squatting... um, uh, a low number. You don't need to. You don't need to pry into that. Um, but if I know I'm front squatting right. or planning on doing squat cleans or whatever, I'll back squat my warm up set. Yep, good. But strategy. with a front with a front rack. So I'll have I'll put I'll have my elbows okay yeah as far forward as I can. That'll do during the first, and then I swap over. I find remember, that's good. Remember what I just said. You got to stress the muscles to lengthen them. All right, so yeah. you're putting that muscle under tension. It's having a bit of stress. Um, you're getting blood through through your body. I used to have to, um, you know, my old body, I had, to, I had to back squat before every training session. You know, I'd back squat first, and then I'd snatch clean jerk. That's mm. just the way I like to warm up. Like, you know, your warm up is individual to you, but uh, at least understand what's effective for you. Is it effective? Mm. Does it work? If um, putting the, the, the bar on the back with a couple of straps helps your front rack, fucking great. Do it. Um, you know, my lot spend um, lots of different time doing different various bits and bobs that I might stand and sort of raise an eyebrow at, but I don't give a fuck. All I care about is snatch clean and jerk. I don't care how they get in there, you know. And, you know, if if um, the, the listeners have asked a, a specific question about mobility and, um, and I'm sort of giving you non-specific answers because there isn't one, but yeah. I'm telling you the theme is that your body is under a, a, a lot of tension and your joint is limited because of that tension. And you cannot force it into these perfectly symmetrical places where it has never existed. Especially if you haven't done uh, snatch, clean and jerk for a few years. Like, you have to be fair on the body. I can't just um, nip out to me gym and say, well, I think I'll just do muscle-ups tomorrow. It's just unrealistic. My body wouldn't be able to do it. Or, mm. um, you know, it would be like saying, well, join my wife for yoga and get into a lotus position. You'd be like, oh, uh, what's, the, what's the stretch to do the lotus position? You know, <laughs> like, it could take you seven <laughs> years to get a lotus position. Yeah. You, you just, you don't, you don't know. Like, we're sat down on chairs. My hip flexors are, are, are shortening every second we're here. You know, and at some point, I've got to um, be kind to my body and compensate um, for whatever I've done to it today, isn't it? Like, I better have my celery juice tomorrow after my fucking gin, and so on and so forth. You've got to be fair to your body, and I feel that it's, you know, when if your output 
Let's get to the output. Let's get to the wad. Let's get to the let's get to the doing. Let's get to fucking heavy. Let's get to whatever it is. Um, your body d- doesn't really give a fuck about it. It'll listen to you, right? Your body will say, okay, if you want output, I'll give you output. Um, but the quality of that output is going to be this because I can't do that position. And then when you ask it to say, well, I want the quality and I want the output, it says, well, if you want this quality, I can't lift as heavy, right? So it limits you. So you can drive it, but the quality may be low. And when you listen to it, the quality increases and you have to bring down the loading. You have no choice. Uh, well, you do have a choice. You can go and get injured, you know, and that's the unfortunate because like it, it gets too heavy, you know, f- for you to be able to sustain um, the loading through your body without properly preparing it first. Yeah. Um, okay, we kind of should finish up, I guess. Um, I think I'll need to have you back on because I, I got all fucking night. I have Peter. Don't you worry. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> well, I do, but I have to get up early in the morning. Um, I decided I'm going to run a half marathon. Um, because. I don't really know why. I think just to kind of see if I can, because I hate running. So I was like, fuck it, I'll do it and see if I can enjoy running. Um, right. But I have to run. So I have to run in the morning because I know I won't do it if I leave it till nighttime. And then I've got two kids. So like one of them gets up at, I have to get her up if she's not up by seven so that I'm not late for work. Um, and then the other one's a, like a more babyish baby. So he's just like on the tit all the time. Um, sorry, that was a bit good lad. He's, he's still, on the still, um, still suckling. Good lad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have to get up. So I, I got one of my friends gave me like a, a he, he said, well, when do you want to do it? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to do it. I'm not, I don't, I don't have a, I'm not running a half marathon. I'm just going to leave one day and like run. run. Um, so he was like, okay, I'll give you 12 weeks and a, a, a progressive plan over 12 weeks. So he was like, Mondays and Tuesday every week are easy runs, like 150 BPM. Here's a progression that you're following. We're just building up volume. You're just taking it easy. And gradually your times will decrease and your 150 BPM will stay the same, but your effort will increase or whatever. Um, so I was like, okay, that's grand. I was like, right, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, get up at six o'clock, go for my run. And that's been working fine because week one was three kilometers on a Monday and like 20 minutes on a Wednesday week two was four kilometers and 24 minutes. And then I had this realization this morning of like, hang on, there's a 90 minute run. What fucking time am I going to have to get up at? Like it's been fine when it's been like less than five kilometers. I've been getting up at six and I can kind of piss around, like, you know, take my time going down the stairs, look for my headphones, whatever, like go head off. And that, that just today I was like, Oh fuck wait a minute, there's like a 90 minute run coming up. There's like 45 minutes. Like this is all good. I'm going to have to start getting up earlier and earlier. So yeah, I think that that's weighing heavy on me. Um, at the minute, I'm just kind of still, I'm still trying to make my peace with that. The, the earliness that's, that's approaching. Um, although the days will be getting brighter, so maybe it won't feel as bad. Um, so we'll finish up with a, a quick fire. Um, so these are just personal preference, whichever you prefer. Um, so snatch or clean and jerk. Clean joke. Always. Um, Clean joke wins the comp. Snatches don't. Um, squat or power? What do you mean? Would you rather do a squat snatch or a power snatch or a squat clean or a power clean? In weightlifting, they're called snatches or power snatches <laughs> and cleans or power cleans. I know, but I'm covering both it's classic together. 
Right, okay, classic. Snatch, clean jerk. No powers. Okay. Right. Um, we're, we're opposites. <laughs> but, but that's because of my numbers and my mobility. <laughs> um, singles or multiple reps? Singles. Um, uh, coach like, or lift? Le- uh, wait, 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 wait. This isn't my fucking. This isn't my philosophy of training a weightlifter. You know, we do no. Both. This is your your yeah. own personal uh, preference. Oh yeah. yeah, like when the lifts get heavy, like you want to yeah. see heavy singles, heavy singles yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, coach or lift? Uh, coach. Okay. Um, well, look, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, I think you're a fascinating man to listen to. Um, Thank and you. And you're you've got an infectious passion. Um, just for people and for coaching, I think it's remarkable. Um, and I'm, it's quite clear to me why Nathan has sidled up to you the way he has. Um, sidled? <laughs> sidled? I know, I was actually really happy with that uh, verb. Wow. Um, <laughs> you hear that, Nathan? Uh, You're a fucking sidler. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I, I appreciate you taking the time out. It's been great to talk to you. I'll Thank you, definitely, definitely be reaching out again because uh, I think there's a lot of uh, untapped minds there um, in the midst of what we were talking about there. I got fucking loads to say, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs>